0: Good morning. Let's get
1: straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices.
0: Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Hello and welcome to Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the world of tech. I'm Tom Chitty and with me is CNBC's senior tech correspondent Arjun Karpal. Would you still buy an electric car? Many investors and lawmakers are asking the same question, as sales of electric vehicles or EVs are slowing in the US and UK. But with many countries and states such as California banning the sale of new petrol and diesel cars by 2035, their phase-out needs to begin in earnest. But boosting EV adoption faces many roadblocks. One solution could be found in China, where most of the world's EVs are made. But would it be allowed to support the West's fledgling EV industry? Beyond the Valley.
1: We're filming this podcast. Can't believe it. Yeah, we are We are filming it. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I hope. I hope my uh, my shirt's all
0: right. Yeah, your shirt's fine. Um, you're usually, for our listeners who don't usually see us in vision, uh, you're wearing a fantastic suit and tie because you've been on air.
1: Yeah, and then I've come just, off air.
0: Would you, I mean, but it feels like you like wearing
1: those, you know, a smart suit. You know, you, I don't mind it. Like I, you know, occasionally like to also not wear it. I, I was thinking if the weather was a bit warmer, I might have, you know, like a T-shirt on. Okay. Something like that. Is there any in-between? The, in it's either a suit or, you know, a hoodie and a T-shirt. Uh, the in-between is like a polo top, you know, with a, with a collar. Got you. Uh, maybe a couple of buttons, three buttons, you know, up high. Uh, that's a nice in-between, isn't it? You're wearing makeup? Uh, I took it off. I took it off. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. This is my nice, skin look good. Well,
0: yeah, I was just a bit worried that if you were wearing makeup and I wasn't, then I'd look a lot worse than you. We, we we, no one wants that.
1: Well, we toyed with the idea, didn't we, of um, some some beyond-the-valley... Merch, mm. which we might be getting, if anyone's listening. Uh, but we have scrapped the idea of p- clothing, not well, not completely. It's still, well, it there. was when you pitched beyond the valley underwear, which I thought,
0: well, yeah, that was a bit that, much. It's a bit weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, mugs, hats, you know, get it in. Sure. Maybe we'll bring in a segment where we play a quiz. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've got stat of the week, obviously. But of week. Uh, speaking of.
1: Shall we get into yeah stat of the week? My stat of the week this week is eight kilograms. Eight kilograms. Okay. All right. Yeah,
0: that's good. I can work with that. If you have any questions on what we've discussed this week or past episodes, then email at cnbc.com and we will answer them. And who knows, there might be a Beyond the Valley mug in it for you. So everyone likes free stuff. Okay, Arjun, I asked... Uh, our listeners at the start, uh, this question. So I'm going to ask you, would you buy an electric car?
1: I would I would like to, but I'm a bit scared at the moment. You know, range anxiety and all of that. Will I run out of battery on my journey? Is there enough? In, you know, we live in London, right? You and I. Uh, other, other listeners will live all over the world. Uh, in London, the infrastructure is kind of getting there. Uh, but, you know, if I was sort of driving outside of London, I don't really know what the infrastructure like if I but you know I, I would like to I would like to buy one they, they they have a bit more technology in them a lot of the time they 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 they've got some interesting designs faster of, off the lights faster you know? off the lights yeah um Speed and and merchant. quiet they're quite quiet they are
0: quiet yeah and you know most importantly they don't have any emissions from the tailpipe from the tailpipe yeah, yeah. so what that's... what about you I, I I toyed with the idea uh, a few years. I mean, it was, must have been 2017. I remember um, going for a test drive in a Mercedes. It was still early days, and there really wasn't the infrastructure. So I think it was more my, you know, inquisitive nature to find out what they, what they were like to drive, but it wasn't very practical. And I, and, I you know, I have a family. It's still not practical uh, for, for me to own an electric car for where I live, uh, don't have any off-street parking, um, so you know there needs to be charging points out or cl- close to where I live, and there
1: just isn't. I don't think I could do it unless there was a charging point in my drive or, or right outside the house. I couldn't like then. I, I've got a friend who who takes his electric vehicle and has to go to a sort of charging point somewhere, sit there for a couple of hours, or, or leave it to charge while he goes shopping. I couldn't do that. Yeah, we've all got
0: friends like that. I've got one who has children, and he, he parks his car at the local forecourt, then goes back home and then walks back and get... I mean, this is madness. Anyway, that's our own EV um, uh, stories. Uh, so let's t- tell our listeners a little bit about the EV landscape as it is right now.
1: So the EV landscape so varied across the world it depends like what country uh, you're looking at at this point. Now it's really interesting. China over the past few years, uh, and we'll get onto this, but China's become effectively the world's biggest uh, EV market. Um, in 2024, uh, a research firm called Canalys expects four, uh, around 40 percent. Uh, electric vehicle penetration in China. But you are seeing other markets try to catch up. So in Europe, uh, around 14.6% of new car registrations in the European Union were battery, full battery electric vehicles. Uh, That's according to European Automobile Manufacturers Association um, last year. Uh, And then in the US, they brought in a law called the Inflation Reduction Act. um, You may have heard a lot about. And this effectively gives Electric vehicle tax credits uh, to those those car makers and, and people buying cars with components that have mainly been or in large part produced or manufactured or, or something along those lines in the U.S. The idea to encourage local manufacturing and boost the appeals, but it's also to boost the appeal of the uh, electric vehicles because they're still expensive, and so so a lot of governments are giving incentives. Now the U.K. meanwhile, bit of mixed messages. They there was a ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars. Uh, which got pushed back from 2030 to 2035. And many are saying that this will sort of hamper the adoption of EVs in the UK. Um, and of course, has brought into question the commitment to the UK to the electric vehicle future. But this is the, the, the lay of the land right now as it stands. And obviously, there's many, many more countries. I've just dealt with some of the big regions at the moment. Um, but that, that's what the EV market looking like. I think at the moment, clearly, it's it's China um, with, with a big sort of appetite and lead. Uh, but Europe really trying to put a lot of focus on this as well. It's confidence, right? That when I buy this electric
0: car, that the industry will move in that direction and that the adoption will increase, that costs will come down, that you know, charging points will be available. Currently 30 or 40% higher cost for EVs than for combustion vehicles. So I want to know <laughs> that when I buy an EV that you know, this is a good investment because the landscape for EVs will improve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, you're, a lot of people buy it because ultimately the charging is cheaper than filling up a tank of, of gas, of petrol um, or diesel. And so those are some of the considerations. And you, yeah, but you want to make sure it's last. I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about EVs is it's it's many people have described them as, as, as sort of a, a smartphone on wheels. Yeah, it's just a giant computer, really, that runs on a battery. And like your smartphone, sometimes the battery, as it wears down, uh, you know, becomes less uh, sort of less battery life and, and wears out. You know, there's questions over that kind of thing for EVs. You know, are they built in the same way? Are they as robust, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So those are some of the questions as well, particularly as you're paying a big price for it. And with a
0: new technology, which is increasing at such a rapid rate, you buy something a few years
1: ago, the technology is going to have moved on considerably. It's rapid. I mean, just like you saw in the smartphones, sort of very quickly innovation happened over just a handful of years. And, you know, within two years, your smartphone could be way behind on the tech and not not as much now these days, but certainly a few years ago. And there are, you know, certainly I think considerations around that I'm looking at EVs thinking, well, if I buy one now, mm. in two years, is there going to be a, a better battery technology, a cooler car out or something like, along those lines? Uh, because, you know, the technology around uh, batteries and, and the whole EV landscape is changing so quickly. We're going to get into batteries actually in a future episode. So we don't
0: want to talk a little bit, well, we're going to yeah, talk we'll a little bit there. about it, but not too much. I do want to get back to China, though, because as you said at the top of your um answer to that question China is the leading market for EVs and the leading company of uh, EVs the leading EV maker company in China is BYD and interestingly they started in smartphones or at least providing the batteries
1: for smartphones Mm, yeah fascinating story and fascinating company Uh, China firstly has been for years investing in electric vehicle infrastructure but also the government a few years ago introduced a lot of subsidies to help EV car makers set up shop and then ultimately for buyers to buy these electric vehicles and that spurred a lot of demand Um, there there was at one point somewhere in the region of 300 electric vehicle companies registered in China because of the subsidies and and the boom Mm -hmm. we've seen Saw in China. I mean, there's not that many now. Um, But certainly, it points to how the government was really trying to support this industry. Uh, And it's led to the emergence of a global giant. And that is BYD. Now, you mentioned BYD, super interesting company. Um, Its stock has had a great run. A lot of investors love this company. Uh, An interesting story. In 2011, Elon Musk did an interview, and he laughed at BYD. And there was an interesting quote he said at the time, he said, have you seen their car? I don't think it's particularly attractive. The technology is not very strong. And BYD as a company has pretty severe problems in their home turf in China. I think their focus is and rightly should be on making sure they don't die in China. That was 2011. BYD sold more electric vehicles than Tesla in the fourth quarter of 2023. So how things have changed. Mm. Um it's such a fascinating company. It was founded in nineteen ninety five by this chemist uh, called Wang uh Wang Chuanfu uh, in in Shenzhen, which is a southern city in China, huge tech hub. Um, and it was founded with twenty employees and two point five million uh, Chinese yuan of capital, so around three hundred and fifty thousand US dollars today. Uh, in 1996, it began manufacturing lithium-ion batteries. So these are the, the type that are in our modern-day smartphones. But at the time, uh, that coincided with the growth of mobile phones. Uh, and in the early 2000s, it managed to then get a deal with Motorola and Nokia, which were the bear moths of the day. Remember those phones, yeah, Nokia? I I those uh, and and pr- to, to supply batteries to them. And in 2003, uh, BYD, so 2003, we're talking 20-something years ago, acquired a small automaker, a struggling automaker at the time, called Xi'an Qinchuan Automobile. Uh, and that was basically the foray into cars, but not EVs yet. Um, so 2003, uh, two years later, it launched its first car called the F3. Uh, so that'll be in 2005, which was a combustion model. Then in 2008, launched its first electric vehicle it was a plug-in hybrid so not a full battery but it was called the f3dm and that same year 2008 warren buffett the famous investor his company berkshire Heatherway, uh made what was at the time a 230 million dollar investment in byd huge obviously backing from one of the most reputable investors in the world um byd continued to push into this ev say so this is 2008 now And this is really where that history as a battery maker came into play, right? Um, It had done smartphone batteries, but in 2020, so several years after acquiring this car company, finally released this battery called the Blade. Uh, And the Blade battery, uh, which many argue really sparked the beginning of BYD's uh, phenomenal growth uh, into the EVs. Now, BYD touted the Blade as a breakthrough in, in battery technology because it provided good energy density uh, and high levels of safety. I energy density refers to the amount of sort of energy given off for the battery uh, for, for the amount of that it actually weighs. So, you know, the idea was having the lightest battery possible, right? Giving the out most amount of energy as well. And it committed to put this battery particularly into its hand vehicle, which is its higher end sporty sedan, which was released in 2020 and very much seen as a rival to Tesla's model S um, at the time. Uh, BYD then used this blade battery and put it into subsequent models. Um, and just to give you a sense of how much of a game changer that was and the growth. So 2020, BYD sold 130,970 pure battery electric vehicles. So just over 130,000. In 2023, the company sold 1.57 million Battery EVs, and it's well set up with support
0: from the Chinese government and access to better access to lithium. The environment for their for their business is a, is a better one than most other companies, I imagine.
1: Yeah, I think that they, they have a lot of support. Uh, they also uh, have the advantage of being a domestic Chinese player in a market of 1.4 billion people, um, and so they have a lot of homegrown support for their carts. And and actually, look. In all fairness, you look at the cars they're producing and they look very nice. You know, I'm not, I'm no car expert. I'm not an auto expert. I don't, I don't love cars. I'm not really into them. But you know, I would be considered an average buyer of a car. I look at it. That looks nice. I love it. Well done. Yeah. Good.
0: Uh, Also, interestingly, when, Tesla first came on the scene. I remember people saying the same thing about their cars that it doesn't look that great. Isn't it doesn't look dissimilar? And this is no criticism of Priuses, but it doesn't look dissimilar to a Prius. Yeah. And people, I think, were th- thinking because of the cost of these cars and this new technology that they were going to be see you know look more sporty, more sexy somehow. Um, so interesting that Elon Must said the same about BYD. Another thing that was flagged to me that BYD is starting a sea business. Did you hear this? Um, The company is assembling a fleet of at least eight car carrier ships that will transport BYD cars from factories in China to sell in Europe, South
1: America and other markets. One of the interesting things about BYD is that it has been very aggressive in its international expansion, Um, as have some of the other Chinese EV players. Even here in the UK, you see a lot of adverts now, uh, commercials on TV uh, for BYD. Uh, they have expanded into other areas of Europe, uh, Latin America uh, as well, so and Southeast Asia. So they are being quite aggressive and it's very interesting. You know, while well, I was talking about this very jargony term, vertical integration, uh, a lot of tech people talk about, effectively means you've got all the bits of your business that you need, uh, you kind of own that supply chain. And that's what BYD quite quite likes, the batteries, mm. the manufacturing of the car, the software, and then the shipping. And then the cost. Can remain low. Cost can remain low. And that's, and that's how they've done so well to control costs, grow that profitability, uh, and maintain healthy sales. We've spoken about BYD, but there are other EV makers in China
0: that are doing well, um, Neo uh, and X-Pen. Um, so there are a few more companies as well flooding uh, this space. How concerned are, do you think uh, a Tesla? Are, th- are they under threat here?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so Neo, Xpeng, Li Auto, these are all these startups that have kind of grown over the past few years. Now, they've hit a few bumps in the road uh, over the last sort of year or two where the Chinese, they're still very much based out of China. So the Chinese economy is slow. They faced intense competition from Tesla and BYD. But now they're trying to, you know, revive sales. And what, what they need, all these companies is, is like a hit. They need a hit a car that's, you know, very iconic and works and, the, and, the, and, the, and you know, people like them. Uh, and what's fascinating, I think, about the Chinese firms is in particular, they don't see themselves as car makers or auto firms. They always like to see themselves as technology companies. And one of the things that's so fascinating when I was in China um, was seeing the way they advertise to users. It's not about you know, it's about the look of the car. And, and, and again, the cars all looked very nice. Uh, but it's about all the tech in them, some of the assisted drivers fe- driving features. So, how some of them could change lanes easily, get on and off a highway automatically, autonomously. Um, all these kind of features, the software in the car. Even Neo is launching a smartphone. Uh, with the aim of of creating this almost hardware ecosystem of car to smartphone for its users and so they're very much focusing on on technology and it's very very similar to what tesla has done over the past few years tesla is no without a doubt a pioneer in this space right spoken a lot about the technology in its car about um, some of the semi-autonomous driving features, uh, which it calls autopilot, some of the development of what it calls full self-driving, which, you know, we need to wait for still. Uh, and right now, Tesla's in a in a sort of state of flux, I think. One, it's facing intense competition. And to be clear, it's still one of the, the market leaders here very much by size, you know, by the amount of cars it actually produces and sells. Um, brand recognition brand globally. Re- yep. Yeah, the uh, personality uh, but, of Elon Musk. Exactly. Um, all of that. But it has some challenges right now because of the competition. One of the things Tesla's shifted to is trying to sell more product at the expense of profitability and its margins, its profit margins. It's cut prices across the world for its cars because it knows right now that it, it, it's in an intense environment and it's a difficult environment. A lot of people don't want to spend a lot of money on these carts, uh, consumer sentiment isn't massive for these big ticket items. And so uh, it's done that. The problem is it hasn't had a brand new product bar the Cybertruck, which is really starting to come to market. But that's very going to be very small volumes compared to the Model S and Model Y and Model 3, etc. Um, and so it needs a new mass market product, I think. And uh, Tesla has said that they're expecting this to come in 2025. Perhaps that's going to re- reinvigorate sales for the company. But it's certainly in an in a, in a interesting moment in its history right now, in terms of how does it navigate the headwinds with all this competition. Subscribe to the Squawk Box Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawk Box Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify,
0: Apple Music and Google Podcasts. I imagine that China and the Chinese government are super keen to dominate this space. At the same time, the U.S. won't want that to happen. The IRA has sort of shown that it's very keen to sort of grow manufacturing, grow jobs in uh, in the green space um, in the U.S. So how could this
1: all play out, do you think? I think the tech competition between China and the U.S., is no doubt going to extend into EVs and already has you mentioned the IRA the inflation reduction act that is key but it's not just the US it's it's Europe too. Europe of course has a rich history in auto making right you think about the big brands that come out of Europe the the Mercedes and BMWs of this Volkswagen. world Volkswagen all of these all of these kind of companies so Europe wants to seat at the table in the future of, of EVs. And, and what one of the fascinating things is the European Union, uh, the European Commission, the executive arm of the EU, has opened a anti-subsidy probe into Chinese uh, electric vehicles. And uh, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen warned that global markets are, quote, flooded, uh, she said, with cheaper Chinese electric cars. And so if the Chinese EV makers end up on the wrong side of this investigation, that could mean that um, they could face higher tariffs to import cars or some more restrictions, which could, you know, effectively cut off the European market from these EV makers. So I think they're going to face a lot of political pushback in in Europe and the U.S. In other areas of the world, not so much in Southeast Asia, uh, certainly in Latin America. I doubt they'll face as much pushback, if any. But in the U.S. and Europe, they're going to look very closely at these companies. These traditional automakers...
0: How worried do you think they are? Because I know you went to um, the Munich uh, Motor Show and you I remember you coming back and saying, it's fascinating to see that these traditional automakers are still seeing themselves as car companies and the new kids on the block are, are tech companies, you know, want to brand themselves as tech companies. And thinking like that allows them to look ahead, allows to integrate phones, other technology within the cars. How far behind do you think are these legacy automakers?
1: Yeah, I think they are quite far far behind, particularly the European automakers. Um, I think they haven't quite caught up on on two fronts. One, the electric vehicle side of the equation, which I think is a lot more easier to catch up on. And I think they will. You know, these big automakers out of Europe and in the US, they know how to manufacture cars. Um, There's battery providers out there uh, and, and big. Players like CATL out of China and BYD out of China do. And then, you know, so they can get the technology, the batteries, um, and integrate them. And they know how to make nice cars, right? So that's not the problem. I think, and they can launch a bunch of cars and they're all planning to launch probably, you know, dozens of vehicles over the next 10 years or so. Um, one of the, the the challenges, I think, for these traditional automakers is how they start thinking like tech companies, and they, they which they don't at the moment. Do they start, you know, hiring software engineers a lot more? Do they start trying to build this software and things in the house? That's going to be, I think, be key to the appeal of their cars and whether they can really catch up to some of these newer players. That's a bit more of a challenge. I want to finish our conversation talking about why electric vehicles
0: came about. Mm. And I think, you know, one of the big reasons was the environment, you know, reducing carbon emissions. We both live in cities where there's been a battle, right, to reclaim space that cars and roads have taken over the last 100 years. I read a really interesting article in the FT over the weekend where the argument was that will electric, will vehicles themselves, will cars, be the future transport of families, of individuals? Will they need a car? living in cities. The adoption of bikes, I mean, if you looked at, you know, European and US, the car sales peaked in 2019, and about 5.5 million e-bikes were sold in the EU in 2022 against just 2 million electric cars. Okay, they're bikes, they're cheaper. But that's also something to consider. You've got cheaper bikes that are healthier for you that let's be honest, we'll get you to your destination quicker within a city than a car. There are some serious obstacles for EVs. When people move away from their combustion vehicles, are they really going to want to buy a more expensive vehicle in an environment within c- cities where they are being pushed away from buying a car?
1: Yeah, I think it brings into to kind of question the whole idea of car ownership. The, the you know, current wisdom is you own a car, and and the thing is, very hard to sort of opine on this for the entire world. We live in a city in London that has incredible transport, mm. public transport mm-hmm. that can get you around the entire sprawling city very quickly. Most places in about an hour or less. Right, um, that's not the same for every city. Um, even, even in Europe right And so I think it's city by city is going gonna differ wildly uh, and when you look at pla- even in, in, in Asia, some of those big heavily congested cities like New Delhi like Bangkok and others where there's so many there's so much traffic yeah you you would consider not having a car uh, and using alternative means whether it's a bike or, or, or other kind of or, or public transport, I think the whole idea of car ownership is one that's been debated by a lot of the car makers. Will we own cars in the future? Now, if you listen to Elon Musk, his idea is that actually there's going to be a network of Teslas in the future. Uh, and it's all ride sharing. Everyone's sharing rides going from A to B. It's all autonomous. Uh, and, you know, the AI will calculate the routes and figure out where you need to go. And you don't actually need to own a car. You pay a small fee for this ride sharing service. And, and that's the way it is. So no one really needs to own a car or very few people will own a car. And so that's one idea. Actually, the idea that actually we don't need car ownership because the cost will come down significantly. EV costs will come down significantly. Ride sharing will come down significantly. And things like public transport will get a lot better. One of the things I experienced while I was in China was driverless cars uh, and driverless taxis and driverless buses, um, which but, was incredible. But, but, but. All electric.
0: The, the, the. Use case for, ele- for electric buses, electric tassi- taxis, any sort of big vehicles. I get that. That makes makes sense. But say driverless cars, for instance, that's not reducing the amount of cars on the road. So you still have that problem of congestion, and and the the fact that lawmakers are trying to make cities less friendly for drivers on the road. So you still have that problem.
1: But I think that that. Some some of the ideas are around actually you do because it's not one car per person it's your ride sharing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever t- have you ever tried ride sharing <laughs> like actually I sharing like- a car with strangers. Uh, it's, yeah, weird. It- <laughs> it's weird. It it's weird. Not not it's not it's not weird. The concept is not weird, but you don't. You know, I, I think I've, I've done it been...
0: once, and I might have been slightly inebriated.
1: Um, yeah, so I can't, don't really remember too yeah. too much. But you, um, you can end up with some strange. Like you were probably the strange person <laughs> in that car, right? <laughs> but you can end up with some strange people. I didn't feel safe. I did it at one time, and I was like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> So I don't know if that solves the issue. But there's all these ideas, you know, about the future of city transport Mm. and whether it's bikes, whether it's even those electric scooters Mm. as part of it. Lethal. And and whether it's um, the uh, driverless cars and Mm. taxis and Mm. and public transport and everything else in between, each city is going to vary. There's obviously going to be a role for EVs. Whether we own them or not, I don't know. I think the adoption of EVs, you know, is clearly being embraced by suburbia,
0: by people who have off-street parking who, you know, go, you know, mid-distance commutes daily and they n- need a car to do that. I totally get it and that's great. But electric vehicles also, you know, it would be great to adopt them in cities. We have a problem with emissions, not only for the environment, you know, uh, global warming, but also for people's health. But I just, you know, I think the cost and the convenience, 2035 doesn't feel like a, a, a long time away. It feels like that's around the corner and, yeah. you
1: know, things need to change fast. I think um, one of the that needs to happen is both drivers and cyclists need to go on a course and I learn how to share the rules. People roads. don't know the rules, actually. In people UK, don't know the rules. The,
0: did you know yeah. that if you turn into a street now, which isn't, you know, a, a crossing, but just you're going from an A road to a B road, should we say, and someone's walking across it's up to the driver to stop they changed the rules about a year ago so if someone's on their one of the big bugbears I have is someone on their phone walking across the street I'm like that's madness you're going to get hit but actually the rules have changed so that the driver sh- is responsible for the person walking. So if they are walking, you have to see them and you have to stop, regardless of whether they even look left or wow.
1: right, yeah. which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely should stop. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and you should definitely not look at your phone you when you're should, crossing the street. Absolutely not, yeah. So there's all of that. One more thing I'll throw into the mix as well, Tom, in the future of our our, our city transportation or just just transportation more generally is the electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle EV toll, EV toll. so you and I mm-hmm. flying cars okay flying cars you did a video on yeah. flying cars a few years ago yeah you saw on it up close I've seen it I've seen quite a few in my time uh actually this is do you fascinating think this is, do you, I don't know fifth
0: element you don't think, know. I, don't, I think we
1: should just just save this for another episode because there's so much to talk about here um it's, it's going to be chaos up there yeah and what about batteries? You teased earlier that we were going to talk more about yeah, batteries. Yeah, we're going to get on and to And we're going to talk about that in, in another, deeper in another episode. We will. Um,
0: okay, well, let's leave that story there for now and find out what else is happening in the world of tech. Let's just quickly jump on that uh, story that happened this week um, about Elon Musk, because we've been talking about EVs. Um, the CEO of Tesla had his uh, compensation package of 56 billion dollars voided by a judge in Delaware. F- $56 billion, ooh, <laughs> Sorry, I laugh because, you know, $56 billion, it's a lot of money. But essentially, the ruling was that uh, Musk's pay package was inappropriately set by Tesla's board. Um, the judge's ruling goes back to 2018, uh, when Elon Musk was granted the largest compensation plan in public corporate history. And in the judge's eyes, Um, felt like uh, too much, essentially, um, and inappropriate, uh, which I thought is kind of interesting in the US. It's, you know, it's not known for uh, these kind of rulings or this kind of approach to corporations, to business, big business. Um, What's your take on it?
1: Yeah, Um, you're right. I I was surprised. I just thought in the US, that's it. Like, you know, you get you know, you make a successful company, you get paid. What you get paid, uh, but this is this is a very special case um, as well. I would love to be paid fifty six billion dollars. Uh, that's quite good. That's more than the, usually the lottery wins, isn't it? It yeah. just a bit, yeah, just a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not bad, not bad pay package, not bad. not bad. Um, but you know what? If you make one of the most successful car companies in the world <coughs> slash tech companies, you know, you, you get 56 Ab- billion. Absolutely. That's what and it also shows that Tesla, despite the competition from BYD is
0: still doing very well. So our next story is going to be talking about Taylor Swift and
1: TikTok. Yeah, that's right. So universal music group, which is the label that Taylor Swift is signed to Drake, BTS. If you're a fan of K-pop, um, they're all signed to, to UMG universal M- uh, music group and UMG, uh, are effectively pulling their music catalogue from TikTok. Now, TikTok and UMG had, had a contract in place, uh, and it expired on Jan the 31st, and they never managed to um, create a new contract or, or come to any kind of agreement. And it set off a war of words between the two, which is fascinating. So this is what UMG had to say. It, they were talking about their contract renewal discussions and they said they've been pressing TikTok on three critical issues. One, appropriate compensation for its artists and songwriters. Two, protecting human artists from the harmful effects of AI. And we'll get deeper into this point. And third, the online safety for TikTok's users. So one of the the main complaints from UMG is that they accuse TikTok of not Paying a fair price for the music and and the and the the uh, everything that's UMG's content on TikTok, um, but the AI bit was fascinating. So let me just quote you something from the open letter that UMG wrote on AI. TikTok is allowing the platform to be flooded with AI-generated recordings, as well as developing tools to enable, promote, and encourage AI music creation on the platform itself and then demanding a contractual right which would allow this content to massively dilute the royalty pool for human artists in a move that is nothing short of sponsoring artist replacement by AI. It's quite a scathing allegation there. And I think this hits home to so many issues around artificial intelligence. What is the AI train? a separate issue, what are AI trained on? Uh, what kind of copyrighted information are the training? That's that's an issue that's being grappled with. But also, what happens when uh, content is AI generated? Do we know it's AI generated? Um, is it going against copyright laws? Um, you know, we've seen songs that have been written by an AI in the voice of an artist, but that was never recorded or endorsed or, or written by that artist. Uh, and so the music industry is at an interesting point right now because The vibe I get broadly is we like AI. We think there's a lot of benefits and we think that it might be able to help the creative process. But we're also worried about all these copyright concerns and and AI is replacing actual songwriters and artists. Uh, And so that really hits home to this. It's a fascinating story, I think. Really fascinating. And it comes back to being able to police this because, you know,
0: how do you stay across what is an AI generated song and what is,
1: you know, real it's, um, it's minefield. It is a minefield. It's, it's tough, but fascinating story. And I think that this is, you know, TikTok has signed deals with other music labels. UMG, of course, one of the biggest in the world, huge artists, mega stars. Um, and I don't think this is the end of these kind of negotiations of these kind of spats between the content owners, uh, such as UMG, and it may extend into other content owners, such as film companies, et cetera, and social media platforms and copyright and AI generating. This, this is a thing, and this is going to continue to play out over the coming years.
0: Okay, uh, let's leave it there, but before we go, we have, of course, got to do stat of the week. Stat of the week, 8 kilograms, Tom. The lightest car battery
1: in the world, you're on the right trackish. <laughs> eight kilograms. A typical EV battery has about eight kilograms of lithium in it. <laughs> uh, some other facts. Around 14 kilograms of cobalt and 20 kilograms of manganese, although this can often be much more depending on the battery size. A Tesla Model S battery, for example, uh, contains around 62.6 kilograms or 138 pounds of lithium. So much more than the average. So, how much does an average car battery weigh? I don't know. That's okay. a great question. Right. So, well, little more, a little up, bit more than eight kilograms. Quite a few kilograms. <laughs> yeah, but that's a lot of. That's quite a lot of, you know, natural minerals. Yeah, minerals. Things. And we'll talk about that on another episode because this is key. Absolutely,
0: this absolutely. Key. Um, all right. Well, this has been great fun, and we will see how the uh, the video clips play out on uh, social media. And remember, please do uh, email in beyond the valley at cnbc.com is the address and any questions you have on the pod we will hope to answer them on the next episode thank you arjun thank you tom we'll be back next week for another episode of beyond the valley goodbye
1: the star